If you've been watching the news lately, you may have heard a few dodgy things about naturopaths. Most people, when asked, wouldn't really know what naturopathy is either. Today we are joined by qualified and practicing naturopath Kendra Samuels. Her day job involves clearing up health issues, and today she'll be clearing up something else. The question, what do naturopaths really do? Welcome to Science of the Times Radio. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio for another week. This week I have a very special guest with me in the studio who has driven far and wide to be here on this cold wintry night. That is Kendra Samuels. Kendra, how are you going? I'm good, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Very cool. Now, Kendra, can you just tell us a little bit about your, your background? What is it that you do professionally? Yeah, so I'm a trained naturopath. So I studied a Bachelor of Health Science and majored in naturopathy. And I worked in clinical practice shortly after I graduated. And then I had my son and then I went on to working in complementary medicine education. So I work largely training pharmacists how to use um, natural medicines. It's more like you do like pathology, you do anatomy, physiology, right, right. chemistry, counseling units, that type of thing. So gotcha. it's similar to like for physio, you do the same health science base and that yep. type of thing. Yeah. So I didn't have like a strong, super strong calling. I just wanted to do something after uni and I always be like that way inclined and really into natural therapies and diet and lifestyle and that type of thing. So I thought like, this is most aligned with me and who I am. So that's why I started studying. Yeah. When you were choosing your career path, did you n know that you wanted to go into this area? Were there any particular things as you were going throughout high school, I guess, that really piqued your interest to go into this area? No, it was like a last minute decision. It oh, wasn't, really? Yeah, it wasn't like something I thought about for a long time. <laughs> no, so I, I was interested in a lot of things, but then this one just happened to, you know, like just timing and the open day, just everything just worked out well. So I decided to go ahead. And because it was a health science degree, I thought like, you know, it's pretty general. If I change my mind, you know, it's a good base to go into something else. Mm. Yeah. Did you contemplate at any of those points, whether to become a, a doctor or a, a physician or like further on with medical science or anything like that? Mm, not, I, no, I didn't know at the point like where I wanted to go with it. Yeah, I knew, like, I liked the chemistry side. When I finished, I wasn't sure what to do afterwards. I was, I didn't have a clear path. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, it's really cool that uh, university was offering that natural health aspect to the course. Is that a, a bigger thing that's happening with unis these days? They offer it at a lot of places, like Southern Cross does it. UTS, I'm not sure if they still have one, but UTS had one. And Western Sydney Uni, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of private colleges that have the course as well, that run like the degree course as well. So it is gaining a lot of popularity mm. and traction. Yeah. No, very nice. Yeah. I think it would be worthwhile just defining what naturopathy is, though, before we go any further, because I think some people may have an idea of it that's probably a bit unclear. Maybe they don't even know what it is. So, yeah, what is the the definition of naturopathy? Yeah, so naturopathy combines the principles of 
I guess, like diet lifestyle. And we look a lot at vitamins and minerals as well and herbal medicine. So it's a holistic treatment to help support the patient. So who do you usually have coming through asking for help? Is it people with all sorts of medical yeah, sort of cases? Anything and everything. But our, like, it's the confusion often is, I guess, our role. Like, what, what actually do we do? Because it sounds, when I just said that, it sounds like we do a lot. But, like, to what extent do we do? Like, for example, I said diet. We look at diet. Like, you know, so does a dietitian. So the difference with us is that we're, our focus is to be holistic in our treatment. Mm. Yeah. So we, we try and combine all of those principles when we treat our patient. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I read online that even like acupuncture and stuff can be considered part of naturopathy. Is it that broad or is it is it more defined than that? No, because acupuncture, that's a whole another four-year, that's a four-year degree in okay. itself. Yeah. So, that's a whole different thing. I know maybe, I don't know, a lot of naturopaths that would use body work as well unless they studied that separately. So, we're having a chat today because you know we've got this article in science magazine written by one of our authors Suvi Mahonen called alternative versus conventional medicine and it's all about helping people discern which one to choose when they Mm -hmm. have something that they need help with Mm -hmm. I think to just give you a bit of my background I had a a skin issue Mm -hmm. that I I went and saw a doctor about it's a skin issue that I'd had for many years time and my doctor essentially told me I don't I don't know what it is. He actually mm-hmm. just prescribed me some shampoo or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I kept seeing him about it. And he's like, okay. So he forwarded me to a dermatologist mm-hmm. who also told me, I don't know. Like, they literally said, I don't know. Yeah. And it was at that point that I, I thought, okay, well, my mom actually suggested, why don't you go see a naturopath? So when I was in Adelaide, I went and saw a naturopath and she gave me an, an answer that made sense to me like Mm -hmm. more than i'd heard from anyone else at the time Mm -hmm. and so we began working on a solution which involved a big change in my diet and i'd found out that i was intolerant to all these foods and stuff some of those things are like a lot of those principles i still carry through today from the sounds of it it sounds like a lot of people that that go to naturopaths are in similar situations where for for one reason or another they haven't found the answer they're looking for at their local gp or something like that Mm. is that the regular thing you see amongst your clients? Yeah, I do have a lot of clients that have seen, you know, like multiple specialists and doctors and they haven't had the answer. So then naturopathy is like their last hope type of thing, like their last decision. And then I have other clients where it's actually their first choice and they don't want to see a doctor or they had a bad experience with a certain specialist. So they want to see a naturopath. And then there's the other types of clients where they just want more out of their healthcare plan network. So yes, they see a doctor, they see a dermatologist, but they also want to see a nutritionist and a naturopath. So different types of people. Do naturopaths and nutritionists often go hand in hand? Yeah, well, because we study, nutritionist isn't a protected term. It's not like a dietitian where you're um, registered, but we do, we study in the, the degree heavily all around nutrition and principles and pathology, how to treat different cognition conditions using di- uh, diet, not treat, but assist. Yeah, assist with c- certain conditions using diet. Yeah. 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 Do you have to be registered to be a naturopath as well? No, so that's where the problem is. So I saw in the article about actually people 
passing away because of naturopaths. And the problem is, I do know what they're referring to there, but those people, they weren't actually naturopaths. Because the term isn't protected, and that's the problem, anyone can call themselves a naturopath. So you can do a two-week course online, and you can call yourself a naturopath. You could do no study at all and call yourself a naturopath, or you can do a four-year degree and postgraduate study and call yourself a naturopath. So that's where the problem lies. So that you get people that you know are from a completely different modality, and they're calling themselves naturopaths, and that's where the problem is: is that we're not registered. So we're not, the industry is not properly regulated. So you do get people out there doing very dangerous things and spoiling the reputation for the rest of us. Do legitimate naturopaths that do have the qualifications and stuff, are they keen for regulation? So yeah, that these yeah. not definitely, I guess imposters like a very negative word, but people who don't have the qualifications so that they're not bringing the name down. Yeah, we definitely, there's associations out there that are really lobbying for it and, you know, they've constantly trying to correspond with um, members of parliament and just trying to make all the moves to head that way. But there's a lot of roadblocks along the way. But we do have, and this is something I always tell people, is to always check that your naturopath is with an association. So like a counsellor where like a psychiatrist, a psychologist, you know, you're registered, but a counsellor, they join associations, a naturopath joins an association. If they join an association, then you know that, yes, they have a minimum of a, some associations are degree or some might have an advanced diploma and then they have to um, adhere to certain uh, like safety standards and also continuing professional, professional development standards and then you know that, you know, they're going to practice in a safe way within the guidelines of that association or they'll be removed from, uh, they, won't, they won't have their membership anymore. So that's one to check. Most naturopaths would advertise that, you know, that they belong to a certain association. So you can always check and call up that association and see that they're actually members there and you can um, see what their credentials are. Yeah. So that's a way to protect yourself because the people that are out there claiming to be naturopaths, they don't have, they won't be able to get association membership. Has it been yeah. frustrating for you personally? Have you had people that you've come across who you tell them that you're a naturopath and they're like, oh, that, that means, must mean you're X, Y, and Z here. And you're like, no, it's not that at all because of this negative stigma that's created about it. Yeah. I think at like at first, because you spend like, it's a four year course, you spend a lot of time learning and then for people to say stupid things, it's really annoying. And at first I used to really, used to bother me, but now I don't, I don't bother, I guess, try to um, convince them that there's a lot of positives in naturopaths if they don't want to be convinced. Yeah. So it's, yeah, don't bother fighting it anymore. <laughs> now, like on your website, you kind of have a few areas that are your areas of specialization and a few of them I would just list here that include yeah. skin health, weight loss, sports performance and chronic conditions. What's made you pretty keen to specialize in those areas? Is that like a, do all naturopaths focus on those areas or is that your particular area of interest? Those are just my areas of interest. Yeah. It's like since then, I've probably even refined that even more, like, you know, as to what I'm most interested in. So now probably, yeah, like chronic conditions and autoimmune conditions and skin conditions probably be my, my I would just say like my favorites to treat. But it's like by 
by specialty, it just means like you've treated more patients and then the research that I do would be more on those topics compared to others. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess like the research, that's that's an interesting point because yeah. um, one of those misconceptions that people might have is that a naturopath is just Googling something at home and coming up with these answers. Yeah. That's not strictly speaking correct, is it? You guys are no. actually doing proper yeah. research in, in labs and stuff. Yeah. So, there's... I mean, there's there's plenty of research out there. I think what they're referring to in the article is probably maybe the gold standard randomized controlled trials, like a double-blinded randomized controlled trial. There wouldn't be as many of those on like a certain herb, but even like say Sydney Uni Faculty of Pharmacy has created a database of basically with the different herbs they've made mini uh, like little monographs where they've got like pharmacology, um, toxicology, evidence-based dosages, warnings and contraindications based on summaries from a whole heap of studies. So you do get your RCTs here and there, but there are a lot of studies out there now, particularly with certain herbs. There's there's plenty. I mean, you're seeing it on, you know, MIMS as well, which is a big database that pharmacists at least would use a lot. And there's plenty of other platforms as well. Like, you know, if you do a PubMed crawl, I don't know if you know what PubMed is. Mm. It's one of the popular, like, databases to search medical journals. So you can always do, like, a PubMed search and look up, say, Ginkgo biloba and, I guess, different actions. And you'll get plenty of research out there. Yeah. Mm. Interestingly, one of the areas that you mentioned here, I just want to hone in on one of them in particular because it's probably one of my most well researched as far as what I've done myself, yeah. areas of interest, which is the skin health. Now, you also deal with the gut. Can you just tell us a little bit about the gut connection to the rest of your body? Because it seems to be so important. Uh, do we appreciate how important it is? In what ways does the gut affect the rest of your body? Oh, okay. That's a big question. So, in in many ways, it's very linked to not just like your skin, but also your immune system at large. So when I treat a lot of autoimmune conditions, I always have to look at the gut. When even a lot of chronic conditions, you have to look at the gut as well. So it can be, for example, there's what we call functional testing, where we look at a lot of different markers in the gut. So there's like inflammatory markers, there's markers for, we don't like to use this term, but this is like a popular term amongst people, leaky gut, but it's not, you know, it's like yeah, a professional term. I've heard that one before. <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't use that anymore, but people will understand what I mean when I say leaky gut. Yeah. I went gluten-free or grain-free yeah. after my meeting with a naturopath. Is that one particular one where <laughs> it's quite common amongst your clients? Yeah, well, gluten is a big culprit, you know, when it comes to contributing to inflammation, particularly, I mean, that's what they say with Australia with maybe maybe our, I guess maybe our gluten-containing products. I have heard other people saying that, you know, they can handle gluten in another country, yeah, um, but they too. can't handle it here. So, I don't know what the background is around that, but often, you know, when, when it's an inflammatory condition, there's, let's say, there's heaps of evidence on medical databases showing that, yeah, there might there is a link to, let's say, dairy and gluten and uh, acne. 
mm. um, acne vulgaris. So, yeah, even like psoriasis or eczema, there's uh, plenty of research on potentially gluten or dairy being an aggravator. Yeah. Do you think that what I guess modern conventional medicine, do you think it underappreciates the role of the gut in a lot of these issues? Yeah, I think it, yeah, if it's probably like neglected, but I think it's just a lack of knowledge. Mm. Like they just, it's just not part of their study. So unless they choose to go and do further study in complementary medicines or maybe go a bit deeper, like more into alternative health, then they probably wouldn't learn too much about those kind of more naturopathic principles about like the gut being core to a lot of conditions. Mm. Yeah. I was going to save this for a little bit later, but I might chuck this one in there. Yeah. I, I asked my, my co-workers in the office if they have any questions for you about natural or conventional medicine. Yeah. And one of those ones actually goes like this. One of my co-workers asked, how can we know who to trust when it comes to our health? It seems research is often funded by pharmaceutical companies. Mm. Is that... I guess, a worry when it comes to what the medicines we take? Yeah, well, I guess, well, research is actually really expensive, like to conduct like a big, because to make research more accurate, you need a big population. So if you don't have that big population, and then you've got to think the bigger po- the population, the more money. So they have the dollars for that. But there are a lot of um, supplement companies now that, you know, they do have the dollars and they are pumping money into research wherever they can like they use say for a lot of products that naturopaths use these days you know we use clinically trialed extracts we use patented extracts where we can because there's research out there now so yeah it's definitely it's and I guess to protect yourself Australian TGA is actually really strict some people would even say too strict compared to other countries. Like say America, I do hear like, you know, a lot of people buying things off iHerb because it's just easy to get oh, yeah. um, and things they can't get in Australia. So Australia does a good job, I think, at protecting the consumer. So you have less to worry about here because our supplement industry is heavily regulated. There's um, not a lot a supplement company can actually say and there's a lot of rules around what they can add into their products. So I think you are quite safe and especially, you know, even if if you're using a practitioner product under practitioner's guidance, a qualified practitioner's guidance, they really are quite safe. Yeah. Yeah. I just fully remembered that, you know, I go to the gym, so I sometimes buy sports supplements um, like protein or like sometimes creatine or whatever. Yeah. And uh, one time the supplement store actually sent us all a text. I think every one of their clientele that was on their database and they asked everyone to sign this petition because the the sports supplement industry was about to be even more regulated. Yeah. I think it'd been classified as a food at that point and it was going to become something else. Yeah. um, Food, sports category is a whole new kettle of fish because they can, there's other ways they can get things in. Yeah. Because it comes in as a food because it's not, it's not as strict. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so people end up buying things online and doing to try and get the same ingredients. But yeah, Australians TGA is on top of it. Like if, if there's a reaction, they're onto it straight away. So they're very strict. So I think you have a lot less to worry about here. Yeah. It's you, you gets dodgy when you buy things online and you know, they're coming from overseas. It's not properly, you know, you can generally tell by the website that, you know, this is just some quick fad product you're buying like liver cure, you know, 
So is that I'd regulated? Online, it- not necessarily. No. I know if you, if there's yeah. a, a medicine you can that can only be obtained by prescription here. Yeah. And if you try and import it from overseas, you're gonna have the police knocking at your door. But it's not the case with. Complementary medicines. Okay. So with complementary medicines, they can probably they like I have seen people they can get away with more. I've seen like you know ten day liver cleanse, but it's like a, a small brand online, and it you know it's got this dodgy marketing. But they can they can get away with that, and you can purchase that online. You're purchasing it from overseas or somewhere random. There's ways to, I guess, get away with it. So you need to be really careful with that. But under a practitioner's guidance, if you're buying from like a pharmacy or a health food store, there's a lot of eyes on them. So it's it's you're fairly safe. That raises an interesting point, like the stuff you see online, because I'm sure. Well, actually, maybe that can be a bit of a question. When you go online and you saw a lot of health advice given out because there's a lot of opinions online and then let's say there's someone who has an issue they want to go online and seek some advice out yeah Uh, do you think there's a lot of false stuff online like would you recommend that someone see a a registered or a a person who has the accreditation behind them a naturopath in person because there's so much misinformation online yeah well online it's general anyway and the big point of a naturopath is that our treatment is individualized so if I'm treating, say, one person for acne and then I'm treating the next person, my treatment protocol could be quite different for for one person compared to the next because I'm taking into account, okay, these are their these are their triggers, this is their diet, this is their lifestyle, this is when it first happened for them, this is what makes it better, this is what makes it worse. So it's totally different. So I wouldn't, the information that's out there would be really generalized. So you probably won't get the results you're after anyway. Yeah, that's right. And that was literally one of the things that was actually mentioned in this article by Suvi. Claire Dunkley wrote, what we as alternative therapists do is that we believe that no one person is the same, that no one person has the same ailment for the same reason. Yeah. Do you think that specialized approach is really one of the, the key pro positive areas of naturopathy? Yeah, definitely. Everyone's different. Like I'll give you an example. I had a client, she's quite young, she had uh, headaches for a long time, couldn't figure out. She'd seen a lot of different people and, you know, you could go through like your standard headache protocol and, you know, take this, take that, take that. But through the questioning and through getting to know her and her health history, I actually found out she wasn't drinking any water. Really? Yeah. And she was drinking a lot of um, caffeine, wasn't drinking any water. And then once we corrected that, she never had a headache again. So it's really simple, but unless someone took that time out to actually go through what she's doing in her lifestyle, it can be hard to pick out something as obvious as that can be hard to pick out. So yeah, you definitely, you can't just assume that, you know, every person's the same. You know, I've seen a million headache cases that, you know, it's all the same. No, it's not. Everyone's different and they have that same headache or they have that same skin issue for a totally different reason. It's really interesting you say that because that's something that we've, we actually have published an article about this in Science Magazine in the past, which is the claim that there is in America and I guess in Australia as well, that people have an over-reliance on opioids. Mm-hmm. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? I think it's better now because like say, for example, codeine before it was S schedule three, it's now schedule four like any other prescription medication so 
it's a bit more regulated because before, you know, people, there was a little codeine database and people could go to the next pharmacy and the next pharmacy and you'd know that, you know, they're getting way too much codeine. But I think it's because of that problem, I think they're better with it. I wouldn't know too much about that because I haven't had a lot of many patients really with like chronic, really bad chronic pain where they have, they're taking like long-term opioids. Okay. Yeah. So not really something I've worked with too much in my practice. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we we had you come in, I actually, as I do sometimes with people that I interview, I posed a a question on Reddit to just see if um, I can get some responses that maybe you can respond to. And one of them really does tie back to, to what we're talking about here. Pretty much what I posted on Reddit was, what experiences have you had with natural medicine? Would you rec- recommend it to anyone else? Yeah. And <laughs> this one person wrote, all medicine is natural. Pills and tablets are just concentrated versions of things you can find in nature. Mm. So, I have no experience with natural medicine because it is stupid. And no, I wouldn't recommend it because it is a ridiculous marketing term and doesn't actually work. <laughs> <laughs> what would your response to that be? Is all medicine natural or like conventional that you'd get prescribed, I guess, at a doctor? I get what they're saying. Like, let's say, like, for example, the opioid family from poppies, you know, you're deriving a lot of medications from that or from aspirin, you know, Salix, Salix Alba, another herb, which we derive medications from as well. And then even things like, you know, Senna, it's a very popular laxative use in more pharmaceutical type medication. And um, so there are lots and lots of medications that are derived naturally, but In a natural, when you, I mean, when you extract something, you just isolate that key um, active ingredient. It works very differently compared to taking a whole herb. When you take a whole herb, there are multiple active constituents that work together in a way that's almost synergistic. So it's a way that like you can't replicate, I guess, always in science. So let's say, let's use a really easy herb as an example. I think a lot of people have heard of St. John's wort. Mm. So it's a really commonly used herb for for mild to moderate depression and okay. anxiety. And there are some good studies out there showing, you know, it's really effective for mild to moderate anxiety and depression, like in comparison to an SSRI, and I guess without the side effects. But it also has another action where it's antiviral. But when you extract, like when you just take one isolated active constituent, you don't get all of those properties from that herb. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess that's the benefit of taking a whole herb versus just an isolated. But, I mean, it's great that we have these herbs because from there, from modern medicine has been able to create really great life-saving drugs. And imagine we didn't have pain-relieving drugs. Everyone thinks you have to choose one. Yeah. You don't. That's the problem. A naturopath has to stay within their scope of practice. Yeah. And I think that's where like maybe doctors and specialists get not threatened, but they don't trust us because they think we're stepping over our scope of practice. We're stepping out of our boundaries. So we think we know more than what we know. So, and because, you know, doctors are hostile sometimes naturopaths don't share where they're meant to with the doctors. So, for example, if I'm looking after a patient, I try where I can. Let's say they also have a specialist and I'm working with an autoimmune patient. I will also see if I can either send a letter with the patient or 
If I can get their details directly, I'll send to them, just let them know this is what I'm doing and this is what my patient is taking for these reasons. But, you know, I understand you're their primary their primary practitioner, but at least I can give that justification. And then generally they respond to they're like, oh, like, great, keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's going well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't personally respond, but that's generally the what they get back, what I get back from either the patient or their assistant. So I think it's more that they don't they don't know what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like there there needs to be this greater collaboration. It, very short anecdote. Yeah. Exactly what you were talking about. When I was with my naturopath, there was one particular thing she was quite interested in was and it required a blood test. Yeah. But she wasn't able to to order that. Yeah. Um, or to be able to get, you know, me, me to go to a pathology clinic or whatever. Yeah. And so she said, "Do you want to go to your doctor and see if he can order this blood test so, and I go to him yeah and he extremely reluctantly did it but he heavily suggested we, we don't really like being told, told what to do, what to do. <laughs> yeah and this is a and that was the first time I heard about any conflict between yeah. I guess alternative or conventional medicine or whatever if if those two f- sides can be at face value seen a, a, as being on opposite ends of this topic yeah but it, that was the first time I'd picked up that there was any point of tension and he's like, oh, you know, we, we don't really like being told what to do or, or like, you know, we don't really do what a naturopath would ask us to do for a certain patient. Is that a, a common thing? That's a common thing that there would be that hostility. And, you know, I, I can see why because, you know, if someone's studying for, I don't know, maybe it's like, what, six years and they have their residency. Yeah. And then, so I'm not sure what the total amount of time is, but it's a long time. And then someone's telling you what to do with something that you've, you know, been doing for a long time and you took so long to get to that point can be a bit annoying. But I did work with Dr. Andrew Pennington at Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic. So, he has a holistic clinic there. I mean, he did suggest, he did tell me that the best way to, like, you just got to, you've got to communicate. So, if you do request these blood tests, if you just want to add, like, some justification because sometimes you know you've taken this big patient history but they they have their history as well that they've taken and they maybe can't see you know why they can't see your thought process they don't know you know why would I want to look at some gut marker or why would I want to look at your iron or b12 so you might you know sometimes when there's justification or, or there's that communication they're a lot more I guess willing to collaborate do you think? Yeah. Do you think that collaboration should happen more, and what yeah. in what ways can it? Because I mean, you have good ties with, with yeah. you know, those doctors, but in general, like you also mentioned, that there's misconceptions from from yeah. one side or the other about the other side and what they're up to. What ca- ways yeah. can you help each other out in the ways that you've found have been successful? Would it help so, from a government level, even if? Ah, oh, I mean, yeah, that would be amazing, but I don't think I think we're a long way from that in, in reality. If if we did get like, you know, firstly, if we were regulated, that would change everything. And then if we did get rebates as well for Medicare, that would change everything. But yeah, if we were regulated properly as well, we would have like certain really strict, I guess, ways that you actually like treatment protocols, I guess, like the same way that a a doctor or a pharmacist would look at something and, and they would see, okay, so someone presents like this, this is my next step, this is my next step. Whereas naturopaths have a bit more flexibility in the way that they want to treat their patient. But I think the way that we can head towards a more collaborative, I guess, treatment style is, so 
naturopaths have to – so firstly, naturopaths don't diagnose. So we need everything – the doctors and the specialists are always the primary the, – they're the primary physicians. They look after the patient. We support so we are not, that's the, the problem, that we are not their first line. You know, they don't come for us for their blood test. They don't come to us for their whatever checkup. For, they go to their doctor, they go to their GP, but we support and aid what they're doing. So we're just, we're those hands and feet for them that can, you know, for example, that story I told you about the girl with the headache, you know, that's because I could spend that time. Not that the doctor wasn't um, good at his job. He just doesn't have that extra time to go through her whole diet history and find, figure that out. Mm. Yeah. So we should not be thinking natural versus alternative. Mm. We should be thinking, um, you know, you still have to go to and see your conventional practitioner, but there's actually a lot of benefit you can get from someone else having a look at your diet and your lifestyle and seeing how they can support you a bit using natural therapies. Yeah. Yeah. Could I just ask you, Kendra, if you could share some stories about where you've seen success maybe through the use of, of natural herbs. After that, I want to just jump into some questions that people have yeah. for you. But yeah, have you? can you just share some of those success some stories? Success yeah. stories. Yeah, I mean, probably the most interesting ones are when people have been, you know, they've been seeing multiple specialists for a while. And there's like a lot of, especially with autoimmune conditions, because you're quite limited even like allopathically with what they can do. And you want to get them into a state of like remission where they're not let's say that they're not in pain or um, they're in a good place, nothing's flared up. So I have seen really good scenarios with, like say, autoimmune thyroid disease where okay. patients have been taking, you know, multiple medications for like their heart and for their thyroid and immunosuppressants. And then to come off almost all of their medications is quite amazing. And then for the specialist to tell you, oh, like keep doing what you're doing. It's working well, and then I'll just support with what I'm doing. Yeah, so that I think like stories like that are great. And then like uh, really cool weight loss stories as well, where people have lost like a massive amount of weight from changing their diet, of course. But sometimes people can have a lot of roadblocks in the way. So, for example, like if they have a thyroid condition or if they have PCOS or they have insulin resistance, that can all affect how easily you can lose weight. Yeah. So... Yeah, overcoming some of those roadblocks to help them to lose the weight is rewarding as well. I guess it comes down to like a case-by-case -case basis, like which is essentially what you're saying. But are there any commonalities between like what would work there? I know a person who I used to work with who went yeah. grain-free, try and lose weight. I know yeah. other people who've gone raw vegan. Yeah. Like obviously it depends on the person. But <laughs> are there common strands what you recommend? Or like, like generally speaking? Like yeah. Generally... If what you eat is from the ground or not packaged, you're less likely to have problems. So if you, instead of eating, like if you're having fresh fruits and vegetables, if you're having, let's say like legumes and good quality grains, which I know is not for everyone, but you know, if someone's having some quinoa, some amaranth, some buckwheat, sorghum wheat, all of that, and they're not having it in like, you know, pre-packaged bar with honey and all of that, then that's going to be a good diet because you're getting all the nutrients that you need. Mm. Yeah. And then obviously not, I, I don't condone excluding, like unless you have to, excluding 
like a whole food group or like some people cut out fats and you know they're really important because you know fat we need fats for our healthy hormones and fats help to stabilize our blood sugars as well so i don't like when people like cut out food groups especially when they don't know what they're doing Mm. um and what like again what works for one person like say for a woman to cut out fats really bad particularly for their hormones so what works for one person or what some research is only done on males and it's not done on females so that's another problem so it's always good to go through a practitioner when it comes to your diet. But generally speaking, get rid of the packaging, get rid of the boxes, eat from the ground and you'll be fine. And the less processed, so the less white foods are, the more brown, the more natural, the better. What are your thoughts on some of these more hectic diets that are floating around at the moment? Like, for example, keto or paleo, like you mentioned, not properly balanced because it's excluding quite a bit of stuff while emphasizing really quite a bit on that one food group? Yeah. So, there would be the select few people that would feel amazing and would do really well. And there would be a lot of people that it's not the right diet for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah. So, and that could be because of a list of reasons. You could have other comorbidities. You could be taking certain medication. You could have certain genetic predispositions that put you in a bad place to be eating a certain way yeah. um, like a high fat diet and certain genetic predispositions wouldn't go very well so definitely if you're going to ever think of doing anything extreme like that you would um, talk to a healthcare professional before and just see whether you're actually a suitable candidate have you seen a rise interest in diets more recently it seems like there have been the topic of conversation more so than i've seen in the past in particular, I guess this links back to, to the people that are visiting you. Do you think that there is an increased interest in natural health going back to plant-based diets? I know veganism has really exploded in the last couple of years as well. Yeah, definitely. So, I mentioned before, like my job is to do a lot of training with pharmacists and pharmacy teams. And, and I forgot the company that does the research, but there's a company that does a lot of research for different pharmaceutical nutraceutical companies and what they said is that i'm not sure if it was millennials or the generation that's one up from millennials but they are and it was a significant percentage higher like more likely to um, consider alternative medicine so it's definitely the way that people are heading and like supplements and complementary medicine so it's definitely the way that people are heading especially the, the newer generation that's coming in, they are more that way inclined to consider diet and lifestyle, consider it really highly. Well, that's, that's a yeah. great segue into these questions that I've got for, for you because, you know, I thought that I was the only person out of anyone in my circle of friends that was had seen a naturopath before. But I actually, once you open the question up, turns out heaps of people have seen a naturopath about a certain, you know, issue or, you know, had questions or whatever, feel free to yeah, answer no or not answer any of them. Question number one, are essential oils bogus or do they actually work? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do not ingest essential oils, <laughs> simply put. It's a volatile oil. They're corrosive. So, you can you can use them, like, you know, you can get some eucalyptus or some tea tree oil, some lavender oil, and you can use it as a really great cleaning product because it's corrosive. But I, we do not... Our herbs, we actually remove that essential oil, that volatile oil component because their therapeutic margin is really, really small. And so they're what 
makes a herb more dangerous, okay. if that makes sense. So it, it would mean we could do less with the herb. So that's gen- taken out. So generally what I like to use essential oils for is aromatherapy. So if you, you know, you, you want to put some in your bath to help you relax, some lavender oil. There's some good research out there for lavender oil and a stimulating head massage, say for alopecia or just to support hair growth. They're like a little bit of menthol in a lozenge or is not going to harm anyone. But I have seen people that, you know, take take 20 drops of lavender and lemon oil. There's no evidence for that. Mm. Yeah. So I know people are saying, Oh, well, there's not a lot of evidence for there is actually there's a lot of evidence for a lot of different herbs and nutrients out there. They just need to have a look. It's just there might not be as much of that, you know, the gold standard RCTs that we're after, but there is no evidence really for essential oils. And one thing that always should be worrying is if something has some type of illegal pyramid scheme attached to it. Like you need to really be careful, especially yeah. if they're saying, yes, you know, you can use this on your baby. You can use this on that. I'm like totally against essential oils and <laughs> using it internally. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. see a lot of that stuff online. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, like, you know, smelling it, helping you to relax. It's perfectly fine using it in your bath, but there's just not enough evidence to say it's going to, it's um, safe really mm. internally. Yeah. Okay. So don't do it. <laughs> so there you go. For anyone who's interested in essential oils, there is um, there is that definitive answer there. I guess we covered this question off. When should you medicate, go to a doctor and get a prescription? And when should you self-medicate with alternative medicine? Yeah. I guess let's just focus on like I've got actually two questions around this one. Let's go yeah. focus on that one first, self-medicate. Yeah. And I guess we kind of t- covered that with what people read online and stuff. But yeah. is self-medicating ever a good idea? No, <laughs> don't ever self-medicate. I, I know that you, <laughs> yeah, I know that you know your body more than anyone else. But it, it's never a good idea. So you, and I mean, some things, you know, you definitely you need a blood test or you need an ultrasound or you need a CT scan to f- figure out what it is. And even if you did choose to see alternative practitioner, we treat. We don't diagnose, we support the treatment. So, you know, we need to know what you have. If you come in with a symptom that has no explanation to it, you're going to have to go to your doctor first. I always send them to their doctor first. Mm. Let's find out what it is and then I can help you treat it. I'm not, I'm not, I can't diagnose you. That's not my job. Yeah. So definitely go to your doctor first, figure out what it is, and then you can decide whether to, then you could you know, use, if necessary, if you need to use um, conventional medicine, that's fine. If you need to use a mix of both, that's fine. Or if your doctor's willing for you to use natural medicine, especially if it's not an acute, really acute condition, then yeah, that's fine too. Let's just say there's someone hypothetically similar to my situation where they have a particular thing that they go to a doctor for and the, the answer's not quite there. Now, what you mentioned is really cool about how you, you want to see increased collaboration between doctors and naturopaths. Let's say there's this person who wants to then explore naturopathy as another option to, to discover what's going wrong. What's a good way for them to deal with this with their doctor? Is it good for them to, to let the doctor know, hey, I'm going to go talk to a naturopath? Yeah. Like, what's, yeah. What do you suggest is the, the way that will be the most collaborative between natu- natural health and conventional health? Yeah. 
So what I always encourage my patients to do is you need to be in charge of your own health. So you need to be like an active participant. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, get, get a folder or something and keep records of your own records, if you want to, you know, keep records of what your naturopath says so you can show show your GP, keep them in the loop. If you want to, I know that the GP, uh, I mean, the specialist um, and the GP would generally correspond, but, you know, sometimes things things are missed. And then sometimes I've seen people like, you know, they have three different GPs that they go to and the notes obviously not linked. So mm. they're getting, this doctor doesn't know you're taking this prescription here. This oh, doctor doesn't know that you're taking this for that. And then it's the farms. That's why pharmacists do medication reviews as well. But I mean, like, if you were in charge of your health and you knew, okay, well, I didn't tell my main doctor that this doctor prescribed me this. The next time I go in for my um, checkup, I'll just let them know that I was prescribed this so he can update his notes. Yeah, because, like, I mean, they're only human and they can only go off what you say. And if you don't say, then you're not getting the best quality treatment. Man, it sounds like the wires can get all tangled in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, things can easily go wrong, but that's why you need, you need to be really in charge of your own health and, yeah, just be really diligent and keep records of everything. Yeah. Yeah, and make sure everyone's in communication with each other. Cool. Now, another question, and I guess we kind of touched on this, which is how influential is gut health to overall health and well-being? We kind of covered that off, but one p- yeah. that, that person, one particular thing they touched on, which I'd never heard of before, was the link between gut health and libido and one's sex drive. Oh, really? Is there, a, is there a link there that you've heard of? That's an interesting question. I have not heard of that, but I guess I guess maybe maybe indirectly it would it could be a problem. Potentially, like if there's a lot of, if they have like a big bacterial overgrowth that's causing them to be really fatigued and that could affect their libido. And then once that's addressed, then maybe they'll get some energy back. But and I've never looked into that. But I mean, gut health is just central because, yeah, like you can get like a really foggy mind if you have an overgrowth. Like you can make you feel really anxious can definitely affect your mood it's a contributor contributing factor to depression and anxiety a contributing factor so yeah it's definitely something that we all need to look at but the most probably the most important thing when it comes to gut health is if you are eating daily a well-balanced healthy diet you can prevent a lot of things Yeah. yeah because your bacteria like you know there's a lot of talk about prebiotics it feeds on fiber so you need the fiber from the different the different foods, yeah, and also to help you pass a stool every day. So people are we're not, you know, reabsorbing some toxins with, you know, people not going to passing a stool for three four days, even though that's like medically considered normalish. We know that we feel like rubbish if we don't go to the bathroom every day. So, yeah, making sure we're drinking our water and doing all of that was definitely important. It it goes so much deeper than that. But, you know, under a practitioner's guidance and looking at some functional testing can really help you address your gut properly. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'll just ask you maybe one more question before we finish up. And I guess that's where where are the fringes of natural medicine that I guess are misconceptions and help people identify those rather than thinking that they're part of what a naturopath would usually do. Like, is is hydrotherapy a, a normal naturopath thing? Like, this guy from Reddit was talking about 
like what experience have you had with natural medicine? And he goes, one guy says marijuana, another guy says <laughs> cannabis, psychedelic mushrooms, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So a, red, a naturopath that's under association could never, ever, <laughs> ever recommend anything like that or prescribe, not even prescribe. Like you can't, you can't do that. And especially with Australia, like that would just never go down. Yeah. You mentioned that hydrotherapy yeah. is one of them. No, well, technically there is no limit because we're not regulated properly. So that's why each each naturopath, you know, works slightly differently. But naturopaths that work with an association, they generally would use diet and maybe lifestyle. We would use vitamins and minerals, herbal medicine, hydrotherapy in terms of like they might do like cotton cold baths, Epsom salt baths, that type of thing. Yeah, like hydrotherapy is like a fairly it, it like that's fairly even like it's not too alternative mm. hydrotherapy. But then you get other people on the other ends of the spectrum that would use flower essences or it can go even further into almost becoming a bit more like spiritual, like crystal healing that type of thing. So there's really naturopaths all on all ends of the spectrum. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. I guess I'll just maybe share two two quick anecdotes that I got from Reddit when I did this poll and maybe if you want to have a, a comment about any of those. So, this person said, as far as natural medicine, yes, it worked for me. I used it for headaches and nausea, recommended by a doctor. For my depression, it didn't work. I'd say my success rate is 70 to 80% with natural medicine. Not actually sure if this person was visiting a naturopath or not or okay. were they finding this information yeah. online. They didn't specify it's good to try something natural for your issues. If it's yeah. chronic or anything else, then ask your doctor first. Don't experiment on your own. If you have diabetes or anything, take your meds. Kind of like similar to what you've been saying as well. Yeah, but I think maybe his experience is a bit quick. So, like, you know, if you've you've gone to your doctor many times in your life, have they fixed everything straight away? No, not not always. They haven't fixed everything straight away. Or, you know, sometimes you have to come back and they had to review and see, you know, why this didn't work. So sometimes I wouldn't like if he had that one experience and it worked for the nausea and the headaches, but it didn't work for like some of the other symptoms, then you could keep um, going back and, you know, changing the strategy and looking at potentially other things because, you know, it's not always that simple. Mm. Um, but like, let's say for something like depression, especially if it's um, severe depression, yeah, you definitely need to see your doctor, take your medication, you know, see your psychologist as well but there can also be supportive things you can do that can you can do while you're taking the antidepressants or having cognitive behavioral therapy treatments as well yeah so i think it just they need to switch their focus a little bit and stop with the you have to choose one you know this didn't work for me and there's no problem with doing both yeah but you always your doctor's always your first line so you do need to see your doctor if you're sick if something happens you always go to the doctor they're your primary carer and then we are just like another allied health practitioner that can help you. Yeah. Yeah. The last example goes off what you're saying. Uh, chamomile tea relieves my menstrual cramps, but I have to drink it before they start. It's inconvenient though, so I usually end up taking a painkiller anyway. Again, doesn't have to be one or the other. <laughs> can be both. Hey. Well, oh, I mean, like they don't have to take if chamomile works. They don't have to take it in a tea. They could take a tablet. No. <laughs> they could pop a tablet if they wanted to. I mean, this comes in different forms. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why if they had a practitioner, they would know that like there's other options that they can do. So yeah, actually seeing a practitioner, not giving natural medicine a go on your own, 
is the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now, just <laughs> just one final thing. I, I yeah. saw this article which is says top five reasons why you should visit a naturopath. Yeah. And I just want to read the list to you and then- if anything, if you have any other further points to add to any of those or if you find any of those interesting or want to comment on any of them. Number one, naturopathy focuses on disease prevention. Mm-hmm. Num- number two, naturopathy may assist with prevalent health conditions facing most people today. Number three, naturopathy uses non-invasive and natural treatments. Yep. Four, naturopathy can work in harmony with traditional Western medicines, yeah. which pretty much we've, we've been talking about yeah. throughout the podcast. And five, naturopathy consultations are affordable. Any other th- reasons that you... Do you agree with those? Any other reasons you can think of why why someone should... Yeah, I agree with all of those. I would probably add, I guess, sometimes it really helps to actually talk to someone for a longer period of time about your health because we can be quite rushed in other scenarios. You might have only, you know, five minutes, seven minutes with a doctor or a specialist and that's just, you know, that's just the way it is for a number of reasons. But our scope of practice is different. I know that. But I'm saying just by talking to someone a bit longer, you can find out more. So, and your sessions you are take, usually longer? Yeah. So, initial consults generally go for like 45 minutes to an hour. Everyone varies. Some natural past an hour and a half for initial consult. Right. And then... Follow-up consults are anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the naturopath. So, it's a lot more time. And then that naturopath can, you know, if they see some, uh, like, you know, some red flags or some things, they could say, hey, look, actually, the doctor really needs to know about this. And they'll be like, oh, I actually didn't think of that. And I didn't actually think of telling my doctor this. And that's simply because they had a, a lot of time to chat. And then I might actually notice some things with their diet or some other concerns. And be like, oh, I think you should definitely you know, chat to your doctor about this. This is important. So I think just because you get to spend more time with a practitioner, that's that's where a lot of the healing comes from. Cool. Yeah. Maybe that point where it says naturopaths are really affordable. They're probably not, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> We're not cheap. <laughs> and that's because we don't get funding from the government. And the Medicare thing and that you mentioned as yeah, well. Yeah, recently, um, even private health insurance, uh, they took a lot of complementary medicines off their um, list. So, you, we don't get that rebate either. So, we have to charge more to make a living. But if you think about it in time, how much time we spend um, with them. So, that's why they have to charge. And if, they, if the patient wants that level of care and they want someone to spend more time with them and go through their, their, their health concerns, then they will have to pay <laughs> so uh, I guess like don't be shocked if you go online and you're looking at prices and you're seeing the prices. It's not cheap. That person said it's really cheap. It's, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> maybe maybe they're talking comparatively to the way it used to be. I guess. But, but prevention is cheaper than a cure. So that's right. Taking long term prescriptions, taking long term, and just the I guess the headache of having to go see, go to the pharmacy every week or every month and get your, and go to the doctor and get a repeat and all of that. It's, you know, it will be really annoying. And, you know, sometimes, particularly if it's a lifestyle disease, if you can prevent it, then hey, every dollar is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a great point to finish off on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kendra. I really appreciate that you had a chat with us and that you shared that knowledge. I guess it's, it's definitely, add a lot of value to, to this article. I mean, the article is quite balanced in itself. So, if anyone wants to check it out, it's online on our website, signsofthetimes.org.au. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. 
Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand. This is an Adventist media podcast. 